You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia. Welcome to The Main Course. I'm Barbara Castiglia of Modern Restaurant Management. Today we're going to talk about something that started out as a trend and was building up steam before the pandemic, but due to the pandemic has been really growing and a lot of excitement in the space. And that's food lockers or modular marketplaces. And my guest today is Christine Marcus, who's the founder and CEO of Alchemista. So welcome, Christine. First, tell me how Alchemista started and what does the name signify? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me as a guest, Barbara. I'm excited to talk to you. And it's really fun to talk about these trends that none of us foresaw coming even just a short time ago. Um, So the name Alchemista really is about creating something extraordinary out of something ordinary. So it's based on the word alchemy and how adding things that we that we consider ordinary in our everyday life, adding just a little bit of that creates something magical and better than, you know, the sum of the parts. So t- tell me a little bit about, you know, what the concept is um, and how the technology works. So the concept is it it started, like you mentioned, we uh, pivoted to have these modular marketplaces or lockers or vending units. They've been called all different kinds of things, but uh, really it's a modular marketplace. And the, the pivot was due to COVID, although now we realize that this is not just a trend, but we see this as the future. So one of the issue, one of the problems we were trying to solve initially is accessibility. Everybody was stuck at home during the pandemic, couldn't go anywhere. Most of the stores were closed, uh, at least for some portion, at least at the beginning. Even grocery stores that were open, I know I stood in line, you know, sometimes for an hour because they were only letting in a handful of people into the store. So we were trying to solve the issue of accessibility and although delivery is a very common uh, thing in the, that we've all been used to, in terms of accessibility, you're still waiting sometimes an hour, sometimes two, sometimes the next day for a delivery. And we wanted to change the paradigm of what accessibility means from hours to seconds. So, you know, I, I guess explain, you know, who you work with and what the lockers, the mo- marketplaces kind of look like. So I think it's important to understand what the modular marketplaces are and really the experience that we're offering, which is a temperature controlled modular units that offer bespoke food and beverage experiences. And we deploy those in universities, uh, luxury residential high rise buildings and commercial buildings. And they, you know, we put things in there from Uh, meals that we make in-house with our culinary team and or some of the James Beard winning restaurants that we work with and some of the chefs that prepare special meals for us. So it can range from uh, the freshly prepared meals and that's where the temperature controlled uh, heating element and refrigerated elements really 
differentiate the quality. But we also include things like La Colombe coffee or prepared um, meal kits that are, you know, things that you could make quickly in your apartment upstairs, all the way to organic pet products, since it's, it's not always easy to get your organic, you know, chicken jerky for the dogs either. So we, we work with some of the local pet uh, bakeries, et cetera, to, to provide those things as well. So it's really an entire range of products that people want and use in every day. And we make that very accessible through these marketplaces. And you mentioned universities and residential uh, units, um, but who is your customer and how is that evolving? So for the residential market, the customer initially is the property management company or the real estate developer. And the reason that they're the initial customer is because, as you I'm sure know, there is a huge amenity race going on in the residential space, especially these uh, urban high rise buildings. They have, you know, every amenity that is you can imagine and because of COVID, a lot of people have been leaving the urban spaces to go to the suburbs where they're not, you know, 500 units in a building. So especially with COVID, the property management, real estate developers, they want to differentiate their property from others that are similar. And in the amenity race, this is the new up and coming must have amenity that basically puts a market at the fingertips of their residents. So that's the initial customer. Once it's in the building, then it becomes a consumer facing uh, amenity because the end customer is the residents that are in the building, that live in the building. So tell me, I guess, some of the advantages for both the uh, developers and the customers in having these in their residences. So from the property management side, like I mentioned, the advantage to them is to really be able to differentiate their their buildings and their portfolio to offer a luxury amenity that can be customized to the needs of their specific property and be able to offer their residents something that uh, makes the residents life easier. So that's that's the that's the attractive thing to initially the people who own the buildings and manage the buildings in terms of if you're the resident and I was a resident in these buildings myself so I'm very familiar with the challenges especially in something like Boston where you know sometimes it's 10 degrees outside and I don't want to go across the street to get coffee or to get um you know di- different items convenience items So to be able to just take the elevator down to the lobby and have all of those items available there, that's game changing for the residents in terms of convenience. The other advantage that we are very excited about and we see is a huge uh, differentiator is that our clients and our DNA of Alchemista has always been very focused on you know, doing everything we possibly can do to improve sustainability, reduce packaging, reduce waste, all those sorts of things. So from a resident perspective, and many of these buildings are LEED certified, for example, having one less delivery to your 
you're building or reducing the amount of cardboard because you're not having things shipped, that that's a big deal to people. And we haven't yet calculated the impact yet of how much, you know, cardboard and et cetera, the impact can have, but we know it's significant. And that's a very attractive feature to our, to our end user, you know, combined with the, the uh, convenience factor. You know, one of the, you, when you started the company, you were, uh, I guess the idea for the company, you were a student at MIT and not, you know, you weren't finding these things that you wanted. And, and that was kind of the genesis of, of the whole idea, correct? Correct. Yep. So tell me a little bit about the pandemic experience in that who has been reaching out to you uh, now to kind of see uh, the potential of the product? So before the pandemic, Alchemista was focused on corporate catering and helping companies manage food and beverage programs that had recurring needs. So think about companies that were trying to implement or were implementing uh, employee perks where the food and beverage is provided free to the employees. That was the original business and the original business model. And companies did that because they provided meals and food because they wanted to create a culture of the employees bonding you know, coming together, breaking bread, essentially. So the meals were served in big buffet lines. People would stand in line, they would make a plate for themselves and they would you know, hang out together in the employee cafe. Obviously COVID brought all of that to a screeching stop. And we had these lockers. I had identified these lockers about a year prior and thought that they were extremely relevant even before COVID, before any of us heard about it. But there wasn't really an immediate need to have anything like this. So, you know, I was pitching it to every customer we had, everyone thought it was super cool, but there wasn't an immediate need. So, you know, I was I was kind of alone in thinking, uh, thinking ahead about all the potential of these things. So fast forward to COVID, uh, obviously everything went to individual boxed meals or individually packaged meals versus buffets. And with social distancing, of course, changed the paradigm of three or 400 people being in an office and eating together. So all of a sudden, these became very relevant because they are temperature controlled. So they um, help manage the quality of the meals. Number one complaint is that meals get cold. So being able to keep them at 140 degrees for hours is a huge win in terms of quality. And so in terms of who's reaching out to us right now, companies are just now starting to think about returning. And we're hearing now from a lot of companies who had food programs in place pre-COVID, and they're trying to figure out, you know, how can they implement something equally attractive for their employees when their employees return to work, whether it's, you know, in June, July, September, doesn't really matter. Companies are starting to think about it now as it gets closer. And this has been you know, a very attractive option for them to be able to still provide a really nice perk for their employees in a very safe way that makes their employees comfortable once they are back at the office. So how are people, you know, the residences, uh, the residents in, in these places, how are they, you know, responding to this service? 
oh, they love it. <laughs> uh, we're seeing it, it's uh, it's been great. We it, it's very rewarding to have a vision of something that you think is you know would be possible, but then to actually hear from customers without them being prompted of that vision actually you know happening. So we are seeing residents love it. We see some residents that are using it multiple times a day. So they may get their, you know, coffee, their cold brew coffee from it in the morning, get a meal at lunch, get a snack later. So it's really, uh, you know, it's the early adopters, of course, are the ones using it that frequently, but everybody loves the, um, loves the, the shift of being able to, you know, go down to your lobby and get something in seconds. So if, if I'm a resident, I guess, kind of um, walk me through the process of how that would work so that um, where I'm choosing the food um, to, to come to me. So from the resident perspective, and this could be the resident or the, the user experience is exactly the same, whether it's in a residential high-rise building or whether it's in a office building or whether it's inside of an office. Like so, Moderna Therapeutics, the you know vaccine producer, um, that is one of our clients, and they have these units in their offices, and we manage their cafe. They've had that was the first company that we launched these um, these modular marketplaces. So that's how their cafeteria operates as well. So it's not just the residents in, in high rise buildings, but it's also companies. So the user experience basically what we have designed is an end-to-end completely contactless experience and the way it works is extremely simple there's no app that is needs to be downloaded which is a huge thing that we've been working on to simplify that so there's no app basically you walk up to the machine every machine has a qr code on it you scan the qr code with your phone and as soon as you do that, it turns your phone essentially into a remote control. So you can scroll on your phone, you scroll through all of the items that are in there. It doesn't matter if it's a meal, a snack, a drink, whatever it is, all of the items show up on your, on your phone and you scroll through them. Choose the one that you want uh, and you can pay with Apple Pay, Google Pay, or you know, put in a credit card. Most people use the Apple or Google Pay push that button and four seconds later, you have your item completely contactless. So how do you actually fulfill all of the orders? So right now, everything that we're doing is on demand. So we stock the, uh, the units and we do that. The frequency varies depending on the building and we can monitor, we monitor all of the inventory and the usage remotely. So we know when something needs to be restocked and Right now, uh, residents, employees, or, uh, you know, it, it very soon in office building lobbies, they just go and it's just on demand. It, it's like it's like having a, you know, bodega in your building that you just go and you look at the inventory that's there and the products and you purchase it and leave. So very simple. So, you know, you work with local restaurants. So, it was important for you to um, to reach out locally. Um, and how do you choose the people that you want to work with? Very good question. So I'm a foodie. I grew up in a Middle Eastern family and food is extremely important and it does bring people together. But most importantly, 
at Alchemista, what we look for is quality and convenience. We never want to uh, compromise on quality just because of convenience. So number one, when we're looking for a restaurant partner, we look for restaurants that have, they have to have amazing food. And that's, that, you know, that's a given. So we look for restaurants that we love. Sometimes we get recommendations from residents. Uh, if there's a, a restaurant we are not aware of, but that has to be number one, that the quality is amazing. Then we work with the chefs because we work with them to help them develop menus that are appropriate for these lockers. As I mentioned, the heated ones, the temperature is 140 degrees. So different menu items will work better than others. So we work with the chefs to help them design the menus. We give them the packaging that is uh, that we provide to them because it's it's packaging that works within those temperature requirements. We give them labeling um, uh, platforms, etc., so that basically all they need to do is focus on making their amazing food. We pick up the food from them and we put it into the lockers. And in terms of the chefs that we're working with, again, this is about quality, not quantity. So we are not looking to have hundreds of restaurants or chefs on our platform. We're looking to have a short list of ones that are exclusive, that prepare exclusive menus, and that uh, are well-known and they have their own brand. So many of our restaurants that we work with and the chefs have won James Beard Awards, for example. So what are some examples of some of the food that works and some of the food that maybe not work? Yep. So unfortunately, a food that we all love, which is fried, um, that is not something that works well. We have, we've been testing and doing a lot of R&D on different packaging that is supposed to help keep things crispy, but we haven't, we haven't found one that works. So although fries and things like that, you know, we, you know, you can get them delivered. It's, I think anybody can attest that the quality is not the same as what you would have in the restaurant. So that rules out for us a lot of a lot of options right off the bat. The the things that work really well are pastas, um, uh, Asian meals, you know, rice bowls, things like that that have some some liquid in them and that um, you know aren't going to dry out if they're sitting there for you know a couple of hours. So can you name some of the restaurants that you've worked with? Sure. So there, there's two chefs, and I think people might be familiar with the chefs first and foremost, uh, Ken Oranger and Jamie Bissonnet. They own uh, together a, a food group called JK Food Group, which owns several restaurants, and we work with all of them. So Copa, um, Toro, which is uh, like Spanish tapas, huge hit, very, very popular. And that's one that's not, uh, that you don't, you know, normally they don't get it delivered. Um, Little Donkey is another one that they have. So you're in the Boston area, um, but where do you see this expanding into the, in the future? Before COVID, we were, we had already expanded to New York City and we're getting a lot of really, really good early traction. 
and then obviously COVID hit and, uh, you know, we, we shut down the New York office temporarily. I would say it went into hibernation, not that it, not that it closed. And we were also expanding into Washington, D.C. Now that things are coming back, we see a huge demand from those two markets. And, uh, you know, we will be, we will be relaunching in New York City and D.C. simultaneously within the next, you know, the next weeks and months. And what would you say is your five-year plan? Five-year plan is to have the lockets, which is what we call our uh, modular marketplaces. Five-year plan is to have them be anywhere and everywhere that people need and want accessibility to food. Might be train stations, airports, um, parks. We have, you know, these work outdoors as well. So basically anywhere where people want, need to eat and have access to food, I see them everywhere. You mentioned before that sustainability, the packaging, um, and food waste were important issues to you, um, uh, you know, when, when starting everything. Why was that the case? That's a good question. P people always ask the sustainability, but they don't ask the why. So I'm glad you asked that. Startups frequently, especially one like this, that's more of a service, um, is really, you know, takes the DNA of the founders and that has a huge impact. And sustainability and environmental issues have always been very important to me personally. Uh, before starting this company, before going to MIT, I was the deputy CFO at the U.S. Department of Energy. And what I loved about that role is the ability to really have an impact on um, things like renewable energy, you know, really get, get a really good understanding of the challenges and, um, you know, really understand the environmental impacts in, in, you know, from scientists in a way that most people don't. And that had a huge impact on me. So, you know, things like, for example, you know, turning off the lights, it doesn't have to be a complicated technology. And I took that same approach of, you know, what everybody's trying to figure out compostable packaging and, you know, more uh, environmentally friendly packaging, but how about trying to figure out how to reduce the amount of packaging we need altogether? So if we can put something in a, in a bag, for example, versus a box, that's something that we would look at. So reducing the overall amount of just consumption for packaging. So that's just been a very, very important issue to me personally. And, uh, you know, I have in our team, that's our company culture. Everybody that's part of the Alchemista team feels very strongly, and that's part of what attracts them to the company. So what impact do you see this having on the entire food industry? Well, I keep using the word paradigm shift. And I do think for the industry, this opens up so many possibilities. And I see Alchemista and specifically the the you know our signature product which is the locket these modular marketplaces i see that changing the paradigm because of the size of the units the fact that they can be placed you know inside outside they uh you know are very self self-sufficient that's a game changer because imagine if you're a bakery or a restaurant and you have an outpost in buildings where we have the lockets. So we may have a hundred buildings, 
you know, we will have a hundred buildings by the end of this year in the Boston area that have the lockets. And I see them as being not only a platform for our own culinary team's food, but also for this, these partnerships that I'm talking about, you know, like the Ken Oranger, Jamie Bissonnet, but even for much smaller brands and for smaller um, restaurants, et cetera, we give them an entirely new way to reach customers. And it's reaching not just, you know, five or 10 customers, but it's reaching thousands of customers every single day because these machines are there 24 seven. So being able to use our, uh, our lockets and all of this technology to expand the opportunities, not only for ourselves, but to the broader industry, to me, that that's extremely exciting. And I, I love that part of the business. You know, as an entrepreneur, I started this business from the ground up, very, very little capital, sold my house, took out my 401. So I know how hard it is to be an entrepreneur and in a very, very competitive space like the food industry. And that to me is very exciting to be able to help other entrepreneurs, even in a small way, to hopefully make their path a little bit easier. So why did you think that risk was worth taking? <laughs> well, initially, when I started the company while I was at MIT, I, I thought the risk was worth taking for very selfish reasons, which was I like good food. And um, the food that was being catered to us Although it was very plentiful, it was not memorable. So within the first two weeks of being at Sloan and eating all these catered meals, you know, all day long, um, I, I gained about 10 pounds in a very short period of time on food that was not anything memorable. So that's kind of the worst of all worlds, as you know, Barbara, is gaining, gaining weight on food that's not amazing. So selfishly, I wanted to solve that problem. I wanted better food. And that was the impetus of it. And, uh, you know, as I started talking to other uh, consumers, the students, the people who order the food, it became very apparent to me very quickly that everyone had that desire, but didn't know how to go about getting it, you know, getting, um, getting things that weren't the big institutional catering companies or the big, um, you know, um, international food service contractors. So that was the original impetus. Then fast forward to COVID, the original impetus for that was, as I mentioned, I was a resident in these high-rise buildings, and I knew how, um, yeah, how inconvenient it was. I lived on the 22nd floor. I knew how inconvenient it was if I had to go out and get something you know, from the drugstore that was a few blocks away if I needed it immediately. I knew that was very, you know, inconvenient. So I thought, wow, that would be super cool to be able to use these uh, marketplaces, not only for hot meals and restaurant food, but also for everyday things that we need. Like my AirPods, for example, I think that's a great example. You know, if I, if I had one of these, one of our marketplaces in my building, I would have been able to go downstairs and get another set of AirPods within seconds. Instead, I, I'm without AirPods today. So, um, you know, things like that, just again, very selfishly wanting and understanding the problem from the consumer side. Who's your competition? I'd like to say that we're the, um, in this modular marketplace in the, the way that we're approaching it, which is with 
uh, you know, luxury items, high-end items, quality, uh, the aesthetic of our units. I would like to say that we are definitely the first mover in this space. And, you know, we're going, we're going quickly. So I think, uh, in, in the mark in the verticals that we are in with the demographic that we are targeting with the types of customers that we're targeting we're you know we're, we're definitely the first mover there doesn't mean it'll last forever you know I think something like Amazon or any delivery service that people are used to which is how you know people have been getting items delivered and they are convenient just serve different purposes those obviously are, are similar similar services but not identical. So obviously the pandemic was a challenge to the business, but what are some challenges you see now? I think the challenges going forward for Alchemista and in, in general are the uncertainty that people have. The uncertainty that people have of, you know, when they do go back to the office, for example, what does that look like? And, you know, trying to stay ahead of the ahead of what in anticipating their needs before they realize they have a need. And I think we're very well positioned for that right now. I think, you know, as any company that's very innovative and, you know, is always two steps ahead, that's that's the challenge always is how to stay ahead of that of that uh, and anticipate their needs. So you obviously receive a lot of data. Um so what kind of trends are you seeing based on the information that you receive? I think that the biggest trend that's been very interesting to me is um, there's definitely a you know we have we have all kinds of products in these in these uh, in the modular marketplaces and we we've been doing a ton of testing you know trial and error of what is it that people really want and surveys etc and what's been very interesting to me is the amount of interest there is for plant-based products um, you know oat milk. Uh, coffees, you know, these canned La Colombe coffee, for example, that have oat milk uh, and the popularity of those versus the traditional type products. That's been very, very interesting for me. And, um, you know, across the board, it's not just from people who would call themselves vegans or vegetarians across the board, that those products are extremely popular. And I think the other trend is the excitement of, of people and the willingness for them to try new up and coming consumer brands. One of the things that we do in the, and this is a differentiator, uh, you know, in terms of the types of items in the merchandising, et cetera, that we carry, it's a mix. It's a mix of well-known brands that people are used to seeing and that they love, but we also work with up and coming consumer brands that, uh, we use, again, we use the Locket as a platform to introduce people to products that they might not have heard of. So very early stage consumer product goods that give people a chance to try things that aren't, you know, in many cases we have exclusive distribution in the area. So they might not even be able to get them uh, through any other way except through the Locket. So that's been really exciting to see people's openness and how People like supporting these up and coming brands and really, uh, you know, propel them to the next level. So what kind of advice would you give to someone who sees your entrepreneurial journey and, you know, and, and wants to kind of follow your example? I would say be prepared to be on a roller coaster 
And I think entrepreneurship is both the hardest yet funnest yet most exciting path. And for me, it wasn't one that I would have assumed that I would take. I came from the opposite end of the spectrum. I came from the government, had a very senior role there. So, you know, that's literally the opposite end of the spectrum. But I think having that entrepreneurial spirit and being able to take calculated risks and be able to really have a passion because there are challenging times. It's it's a roller coaster. The highs are very high, the lows are very low. And being able to keep focused on why you're doing what you're doing and you know having that drive you when things do get tough. I mean, the pandemic's a perfect example. I watched the business disappear literally overnight, literally overnight, lost every single customer except Moderna. And, you know, a, a business that I had been building for seven years disappeared, you know, or so it seemed anyway. And I think being able to keep focus on what it is you're trying to achieve. I, I know exactly what that is for me. I know the impact I want to have on my kids, on the world, and, um, you know, on other entrepreneurs. Having that, fr you know, front and center at all times is how people uh, can be resilient and to get through the challenging times. Perfect. Thank you so much, Christine. This was great. <laughs>